0: really joy to have both of you with us today this will not be the last time you see adam and annie with us we're excited about what the future is going to bring and how we can be in partnership with them as a congregation into the future so excited and happy that you're here god has called you to an extraordinary work as God has called many of us to an extraordinary work. And that is where we're going to begin today, a series for Advent that'll take us for the next several Sundays and including up to New Year's Eve on December 31st is a series called Extraordinary Life. When we start reading the Christmas story, whether it's about Joseph or Mary or Zechariah, Elizabeth, Shepherds, whoever it might be, we're reading stories about ordinary people. And in some ways, not even ordinary but people that were at the margins people that no one was really looking at from cities and towns that nobody was paying attention to and in those moments god called those people to this extraordinary work of being a part of the story of jesus's first coming into our midst through his birth now every single one of those people when they started their journey toward this extraordinary life It started with a moment of discernment. They had to have a moment in their life. For those of you who are part of my cultural zeitgeist, you will recognize that there were people who had to choose the red pill or the blue pill, one or the other. All of us face these moments of discernment where we have to decide how we're going to follow what God is calling us to do. And it's that decision, that pivotal moment of discernment And once we realize what it is, that's the moment when God can do something extraordinary through us. And so today I want to talk with you about how that discernment process works at the beginning of an extraordinary life. So when we think about discernment, there's a common sense way to do that, and there's an uncommon sense way to do that. And I want to talk first about the common sense way we go about that. When we talk about the common sense way of making decisions or discerning the path we need to take in our life, we have a number of options available to us through our common sense. Option number one is wait for the open door. Wait for the open door. This is the option we choose when we want to take a passive posture to see what door might open, and when it opens, we go to move through it. Now, this is often the favored option of people who are looking for what is popular or what is approved or what is proven effective by others. The people who practice this kind of common sense of waiting for the door to open are not early adopters. If the only reason you have a touchtone phone in your home is because you could no longer get a rotary phone, I'm talking to you. And for those of you who do not know what a rotary phone is, never mind. (laughs) Option one are those who wait for the door to open. So, in other words, we're not going to move, we're not going to act, we're not going to take any action until we see a door open and then we'll go through it. Now, if this were Joseph in this story in Matthew's gospel, this is the space where he would have done nothing except wait for an explanation to be given to him as to how is it that his betrothed, Mary, turned up pregnant during their engagement. Now, in a way, that's what happens later in the story, but I just want to frame this for a moment, that oftentimes when we make decisions with our life and choices about what we need to do, we often make those choices based on the door that's open to us. And when that happens, there are moments in which we settle. There are moments in which we make choices that may not be fully informed, that are fully informed. Maybe we make choices because, well, we don't make choices because we're afraid to make them. There's nothing wrong with this way of making choices. There's been many seasons in my life where I've simply sat and waited on the Lord and said, God, I don't know what to do. I'm just gonna wait for the door to open. And sure enough, eventually a door opens. And then I know that's the direction God has called me to take. Now there's another way common sense decision-making works, and it's option two. Rather than wait for the open door, it is to not wait for the closed door. So this is the person that may have three or four or five options in front of them, and they pursue all of them equally until doors start slamming shut. Then as doors begin to slam shut, there's only one door left, so that's what they do. This is the person that likes to cultivate all of their options before they decide what to do. If you go to a restaurant and the menu's placed in front of you and you say, there are six things on this menu I think I want to eat. And you don't decide what you're going to eat until you're actually at a point where you must decide what to eat, this is you. This is you. Now, to the outside person, this appears as an individual who's this kind of indecisive. One of my favorite sayings to people is that I used to be indecisive, but now I'm not so sure. (laughs) You have to let that one sink for just, settle on you just for a minute. This mode of discernment is one that believes every opportunity is a good opportunity. And so we move them all forward until doors begin to close and the path becomes clearer and clearer to us. You see, this way of making decisions is not passive, it's very active, where we try to cultivate every option possible. So if Joseph were to have followed this common sense plan, he would have simply said, well, I'm a devout Jewish man who follows the Jewish law, and I don't know what happened to Mary over here, But the way we're going to move forward is to cultivate every option until I have no options left. And if that were his thinking, the only option he eventually would have had left is he would have had to divorce her. That's the only option left on the table. Now, there's nothing wrong with this way of making decisions. Sometimes, with option one, we're waiting to hear God's yes. But in option two, what we're waiting for is to hear God's no. And there's nothing wrong with making decisions in either of those patterns, as long as we're seeking and discerning what God is calling us to do. But there are moments in our lives where neither of these options work very well. As a matter of fact, the longer we stay looking at doors or trying to move through doors, we discover that the answer isn't a door, it's actually a window. That's option three. Now, the window is the option we look for when it seems like we don't really have any options left. This is Joseph. You see, he can't follow option one, which is to wait for the door to open because Mary's pregnant. And the last time I checked, that's got a nine-month expiration date on it. So he has no way to get out of the situation he's in because it's already happening. It's already moving. And so the time at which he has to decide what to do is really limited. So he can't simply just wait for God to open a door. God will open a different kind of door in a minute, you'll see. But he can't follow option number two, which is to cultivate every option going forward because he's in an impossible dilemma. Matthew tells us that, jo- that Joseph is an individual who's a devout Jewish man, which means he must follow the Jewish law. And Jewish law in this case is that if his betrothed-to-be, Mary, turns up pregnant before they actually have the marriage ceremony, then that means that she's guilty of adultery. So under Jewish law, he only has one option, and that's to divorce her. Now in Jewish custom two two millennia ago, an engagement was a legal contract. It's not like our engagements, which are kind of a, a handshake agreement until reception contracts are inked, and then it becomes a little more difficult. It's a legal contract, and if it's going to be ended, it has to end in divorce. In other words, the two families have to agree together that they're going to stop the marriage from moving forward and then separate the assets that they've agreed they're going to be swapped together as part of the marriage. Joseph simply can't wait nor can he keep moving everything forward because if he moves forward too quickly what would normally happen in this world is he would publicly accuse Mary of adultery and depending on the community Mary was in she could face ostracism, she could face complete estrangement, and in some Jewish communities, even in the first century, she could have been stoned to death. That's not the Christmas story you were expecting, was it? So, Joseph has to find a balance between being an observant Jewish man and protecting Mary as best he can because he doesn't want any harm to come to her. So he comes to a conclusion. This is his window solution. I'm going to divorce her quietly. Now, he doesn't have to do that. He could have made a huge public spectacle out of it. But instead, he chooses to do it quietly. And by doing it quietly, there are still going to be repercussions for Mary. But they're not going to be nearly as bad as if he made a huge public spectacle of a thing. So he decides he's going to divorce her. That satisfies his commitment to Jewish law. But he's going to do it quietly, so that he can preserve some sense of Mary being able to move on with her life. There's nothing wrong with this way of making a decision. There's nothing wrong with trying to find the compromise, trying to work your way out of a difficult situation. There's this thing that's sitting on top of your shoulders right now. It's called a head, and in it, it contains a brain. And God gave that to you. And God intends you to use it to use it for decision-making, to use it for your intellectual and academic development, to use it in a way that is stewarded well for the purposes of Jesus Christ in the world. So this isn't a situation where in order to make a good decision, you have to turn your brain off and just function by wild intuition. No. All of these ways work. But something unusual happens in this story that we'll call uncommon sense. And what makes it uncommon is what happens to Joseph. As soon as he decides that he's going to divorce Mary quietly, he has a dream. And in this dream, an angel appears to him and brings him a message. This is what makes it extraordinary, because there was an option on the table that Joseph had never considered. And the option he had never considered was taking Mary as his wife. It never crossed his mind until the angel said so. Now, what persuaded Joseph to do that? And it's important that we understand why, because the why is really not so much a why as it is a who. So when the angel speaks, notice what the angel tells Joseph. Mary's not conceived this child by adultery, but how? through the Holy Spirit. Then the angel goes on to say that Joseph is to take this child as his own son and he's to name him Jesus, Yeshua, which is a shortened form of Joshua. That name means God is salvation. So if you want to know what the name Jesus means, God is salvation. And then the angel goes on and tells Joseph that That jesus won't save his people from the romans he says he will save his people from their sins and that this jesus would be a fulfillment of prophecy in which god would be among us so this isn't just another prophet that god is sending this is god in the flesh coming to live among us and in our midst emmanuel So what persuades Joseph isn't the why, it's the who. Jesus is the one that persuades him to see an option he had not seen before. And that option was to take Mary as his wife. Joseph, if you ask anybody around him, has lost his mind. This is the crazy option. Why why would he do this? He's convinced by what the angel has told him. And so when we think about what the story is telling us about how we make uncommon sense work, let's listen carefully to how God is speaking and moving in the story. There, There are five quick keys I want to share with you. Each one will only take me half an hour, so we'll be out of here in no time. No. Here they are. I'm going to go through them very quickly because they stand out in the story. They're so rich and so important for us. The first one is learn to discern instead of deciding now this is something that Christians do all the time is they decide they decide now of course we have moments at which we need to make choices we have to choose things but the decision-making we do has to be based on a time of discernment so when we're in any kind of situation in which we find ourselves do we discern what God is calling us to do through option one wait for the open door option two wait for the closed door option three look for a window or option four, the crazy option are we in a discerning posture or do we just want to decide and get it over with we have to stifle the impulse to act and we have to summon the willingness to seek Jesus said if we seek we will what find. Jesus validates the searching, the longing, the seeking, the hoping, the searching. What he doesn't validate are those who are quick to judgment, those who are quick to decision, those who jump to conclusions, those who make assumptions. Jesus has other words for them. So number two, cultivate dreams, visions, and scriptures. Oftentimes what we think needs to happen is that God has got to speak to us in our rational mind all the time. Like I read and I Bible study and God speaks to me and that's how I hear things in this kind of cognitive sort of way. But when we read the Bible time and time again when God delivers important messages, God typically doesn't do that when people are awake. God typically does that when they're sleeping. They have a dream or they have a vision. A vision is something that happens to you when you're awake. A dream is something that happens to you when you're asleep. God is speaking in your subconscious mind. So when you have a dream, do you awake and try to write it down as quick as you can? Or do you go, ah, it's just a dream? Maybe God is speaking in that moment. Cultivate dreams and visions and scripture too, because in the dream, the angel quotes scripture to him from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. So read the scripture, cultivate that skill of recording what your dreams are and what your visions are. Number three, seek true intercessors. I'm excited one day that we'll have a series on prayer. I don't know when, but we'll have it. And I want to talk about intercession because there's an important lesson for us in this. We often, cha- we often say that prayer changes things. This is a credo I do not believe. God changes things. And God changes things through people. And God changes things through people who pray. Because when they pray, they take on the heart and the love and the affection and the vision of God. And then they embody that in the world. We become the presence of God when we pray. We don't pray like God is some kind of cosmic bellhop out there just running around, running errands for the people he likes and the people he doesn't. God embodies in the flesh, us, the movement of the Holy Spirit and so we have to seek true intercessors and what that means is people who will pray for us that will not pray for what we want and they will not pray for what they want they will pray for what? what God wants even if that's our pain even if that's our pain seek true intercessors number four invalidate nothing so if God prompts you and moves you in a way that you say God would never ask me to do that (laughs) perfect you're the perfect candidate invalidate nothing uncommon sense is grounded in the crazy listen carefully to when God invites us to do something that we may not think quite makes sense and the fifth thing act in obedience just like Joseph did. I love how the story ends and that it says Joseph awoke from his dream, he did exactly what the angel told him to do, and there's one other thing he did. It says that he did not have sexual relations with Mary until after she gave birth. Now you notice in the message from the angel during his dream, the angel said nothing about that. Joseph takes that on himself, and the reason he takes that on himself is because it signals his belief in what God is doing in Mary. He hasn't just been obedient. He's now going the extra mile. He's saying, I want to be sure that this child that is born to Mary can never be confused as my child because it's of the Holy Spirit. It's the way Joseph owns the promise. And he owns it to his detriment because Mary is going to be a woman of scandal in the public eye. I mean, how's it going to play when she tells people that the child conceived within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit? They're going to say, oh, no, 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 we know what happened here. And instead of Joseph letting her endure that alone, now he endures it with her. This is another sermon for another day. This is the model of Christian marriage, mutual submission to one another. Serving one another, bearing burdens together. So I'd ask you today what are you thinking and wondering about in your life? What decision are you holding on to today? Maybe it's about your health. It's about a relationship that maybe has been dormant for too long, that maybe God is calling you to reconcile. What choice are you sitting with today? I think the Lord is inviting all of us to use all of our common sense and all of our uncommon sense to find our path forward. So let us pray for that. Lord, we pray today that you'd give us a holy sense, a holy sense of the movement of your spirit that we might listen and follow. We recognize, God, that we face choices every day. And that really the art of being a disciple or follower of Jesus is to make those choices led by you. So God, help us to, even this day, surrender our fears, our anxiety, our worry, our ego, our vanity. and Simply lay that before you. To be discerning people who will use all of their common and uncommon sense that you have given us as a gift. For this we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.